Today we finished our sermon series on Acts. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book. I love the book. Uh, it's, it's a great book because the book kind of leaves us suspended. It leaves us in, in, in wonder about what's happening next. Uh, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul's going to Rome, and he's going he's gonna to be before Caesar, and he never gets there. And, and, and you don't really know how the book of Acts ends because it really hasn't ended yet. The book of Acts still hasn't ended. We're living in the book of Acts. So that's why I like the book of Acts. And so um, today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that, that journey that Paul's on toward Rome. And he's in, in Caesarea, um, which is uh, one step closer to the end of his journey. Um, now the, the Gospel Acts 2, the book of Acts, has no shortage of big egos either. <laughs> and this is a, a great passage for that too. Uh, you have the Apostle Paul, you know, and, and sometimes he comes across as having quite a big ego. Then you got King Agrippa, and you got Felix, and you got Festus, and all these guys are, uh, you know, I, I don't think they could fit through a door at the same time with the, with the heads they got. So how, how do you tell when somebody has a big ego? What's, what are some of the signs you look for? They self-centered, they need to be the center of attention. Sometimes they, uh, they get defensive with things. What about if, uh, if they have a tattoo like this tattoo? I'm awesome. <laughs> is, that, is that the sign of somebody with a big ego? They can't spell. <laughs> if you're going to get a tattoo that says, I'm awesome, you better learn how to spell awesome. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you got to feel bad for that guy, right? <laughs> Hopefully he learned his lesson. <laughs> Today, in our reading, Paul says, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that you and everyone here in this hearing might be the same as I am, except for these chains. <laughs> Does that sound like an egotistical claim to you? I wish that you were just like me. <laughs> wow. This is my prayer, he says. I pray that you would be just like me. Uh, I, I can't pray that prayer. What's more egotistical than that? I pray that you would be just like me. Dear God, would you just make this person more like me? My life would be so much easier. Their life would be so much easier if they were just a little bit more like me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know about that prayer. Remember, it's Paul that said, if anyone has any reason to boast in their deeds, it's me. I have a better reason than anybody to boast in my deeds. <laughs> I pray that God would make everyone like me, everyone in this room, be more like me. Would you ever pray that prayer? <laughs> I don't know. And Paul is not, a, he's, he's standing before a king. He's standing before the king of all Judea. He's standing before the king of the Jews at the time. And this, and this is what he tells him. I pray that you would be more like me. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. He gets all up in his face. He gets all up in his grill. He says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do, Agrippa. I know you do. Paul is audacious. This is a, a crazy claim. Paul's, you know, Paul's getting crazy. Paul's getting, Paul's getting nuts. And, and, and uh, Festus calls him on it. He says, you're out of your mind, Paul. What are you thinking? <laughs> Whether quickly or not, I pray you would be just like me. If only the world could see things the way I see them. <laughs> I don't know if I could pray that. But now that I think about it, I have felt that feeling. <laughs> I 
I have had that thought, and I have prayed that prayer. I pray that prayer for Tara and her family. Now, if anybody here knows my wife, they know that you can't spend more than five minutes with my wife without just thinking she's one of the greatest people ever. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, see, the people that know her know that it's just not possible. It's, it's just one of those things. You, if you could test it in a lab, I'm sure if I was smart enough, I could, and I can scientifically prove that my wife is one of the most likable people in the whole world. And, and, um, and everybody that knows her knows that. And so, yeah, see? So you get people nodding. And, and, <laughs> and so uh, it's not just me, and she's not here, so it's not like I'm buttering her up or anything. But she's just one of the nicest people ever. And, and you can't not like her. And, we, and, and, and this friend that we had in college, uh, it was her friend that lived across, across the hallway when she lived in the dorm. Her friend Tara was just like that. She's one of these people that you could just not, you couldn't help but like. And she's had this personality that, that just made your day better. And uh, I just thank God that I got to know Tara. And... Um, but Tara was sick, and she didn't really know why. And, and um, she had cramps in her stomach, and, and they didn't really know what it was. And she kept going back to the doctor for about a year. She, she kept going back. And they said, you're, you're constipated, and they'd give her medication for that or you know, some other thing, and they'd give her... And she kept going back, and she'd go to specialists. And they never knew what was wrong. And then one day when she was on campus... She was feeling really bad. So she goes to the campus nurse, right? She's kind of the specialist that can't figure out what's going on with her. And, and, and so she goes to the campus nurse. And, the, and the, the campus nurse takes one look at her, takes a look at her eyes, and takes a look at her abdomen. She says, you're jaundice. I think you might have hepatitis. And, and um, so then Tara went to the hospital right away. And it turned out that she had a genetic disease called Wilson's disease. And what this causes is too much copper in your body. And, and what happens is it destroys your liver. So Tara was 19 years old, and she needed a liver transplant. And, and so um, this is one of Steph's best friends in college. And, um, and, and, and we stood with her, and we stood with her family, through this, this journey of waiting for a liver. <laughs> and and when, when she was in the hospital, we slept with her family on the floor of the waiting room in the hospital. And, and we were there with the family in the midst of that. And, 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 and I pray this prayer. I pray this prayer that, that Paul prays. I pray that you would be more like me. Because her family was a family without faith. They didn't know the gospel. They didn't know they didn't know what I know. More importantly, they didn't know who I know. <laughs> Tara didn't know Jesus Christ to the best of my knowledge. And it breaks my heart. There's nothing more sad to me than going to a funeral of somebody that doesn't have faith. Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody that doesn't have faith? The grief of people without faith is, is so sad and deep. And I prayed this prayer. 
God, I wish, I wish they were more like me. I wish they knew who I know. I wish they know, I wish they would know the God who wipes every tear from our eyes. If only they could see the world as I see it. I have felt that feeling that Paul felt. I have had that thought that Paul had. I have prayed that prayer that Paul prayed. Oh, that they were like me. Oh, I wish you were just like me. Oh, that you were as I am. And everyone in my hearing, I pray that they would be like me. Paul stands before the king and prays this prayer. I confess that as their daughter lay there dying, I didn't have the courage that Paul had as he stood before that king. I didn't have the courage to speak the gospel into their lives. Paul was bold. Paul was crazy. I'm, I'm not crazy. When you follow Jesus, he calls you to do some pretty crazy things, doesn't he? And that's, <laughs> that's the danger we live in. You, you, can, you can jump on this train, you can take this ride, but God's going to call you to do some pretty crazy things. <laughs> so Paul, he's on trial, right? But if you listen to the way Paul talks, you would think that he wasn't the one on trial, <laughs> but the king was. <laughs> Paul speaks, and he's not even interested in defending himself. He says, I want to go see Caesar. Paul's like one of these uh, defendants on Law and Order. Anybody watch Law and Order or like one of these other court shows, these dramas? And, and every once in a while you have one of these defendants just insists on defending himself, right? No matter what. It's like, I, you know, I, I'm going I'm to be my own defense. And, and if you're like me, you're watching the TV thinking, no, no, don't do it. You don't know what you're doing. And, you, and, and then, they'll, you know, they're, they're, they're making all these wrong choices. And, and I'm like throwing things at the TV. They're like, you don't know what you're doing. These people, these, you know, these people just, they, they go to school for like seven years to figure this out. And you think you're just going to do it and just pick it up as you go? It's just crazy. <laughs> so Paul's just like that. You know, Paul says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to defend myself. And, and you're like, no, no, Paul, come on. You know, at least get like a public defender or something, right? And no, no, I, I got a plan. Really, Paul? Come on. No, no, I, I, I got a plan. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. You're going to what? <laughs> I'm going to appeal to Caesar. I'm going to go see the biggest, the biggest ego in the land. I'm the, <laughs> the biggest ego in the world probably at the time. I'm going to go see the biggest cheese I can. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. This is his plan. And right at the end of this chapter, <laughs> this is what Agrippa says. If that jackwagon Paul would not have appealed to Caesar, he would have been free by now. <laughs> so this is the defense that Paul has for himself. I'm going to go appeal to Caesar. <laughs> but Paul isn't really interested in getting away. He really isn't interested in his innocence. He really isn't interested in being free in some ways. Obviously, he prays this, that he would be freed from his chains. But he knows that he's called to go to Caesar. He knows because he's got his marching orders from Jesus Christ. He knows that he's called to preach to the kings of the world. It was the will of God that this would be so. Do you remember Ananias from a few weeks ago? Ananias was a man that it was a Christian. And, and at the time, Paul was breathing murderous threats against the Christians. This is what the Bible says. He's breathing murderous threats. 
And Paul is struck blind on the road to Damascus where he's going to go and persecute Christians. And so God sends Ananias, a Christian, to go and heal him. And Ananias goes to him and he says, Brother. And he says, Brother, I've come to speak the gospel to you. And Jesus gives the word, these words to Ananias. This is my chosen instrument. Paul is my instrument to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to the, to the kings of this world. So this is what Paul's doing. King Agrippa was a hard man. He was a shrewd man. He was a politician to the core. King Agrippa had in his blood going back generations. He knew the law. He knew the prophets. But religion was only worthwhile as long as you use it to manipulate the masses. He was a Jew, but really in name only. He was a Jew because it played well in the sticks. He was a Jew because the masses thought it would be a good idea to have a king that they could relate to. Maybe he thought Paul was amusing. What do you think that he thought of Paul? Maybe he thought it was entertaining to hear him speak. They didn't have TV back, back then. They didn't have law and order. So what they did was they would sit around and have debates. This is what the Greco-Roman culture was about. They would debate things. They would debate each other. And this is the way they would pass time. And Paul preaches not as somebody who's debating. <laughs> he says, I don't use clever words as the world does. But he speaks from the bottom of his heart. He speaks from a passionate heart. He speaks words of sober truth. Words that are the difference between life and death. He knows that his words mean life and death. Not his own life and death, but somebody that's on trial. Paul knows that his words mean Agrippa's life and death. He speaks words that it can either sever like a deadly sword, or they can carve like a life-giving scalpel. The difference between the two is in the ears of the hearer. The word of God can be a sword to you, or it can be a scalpel. Do you have ears to hear? Paul gives it everything he's got. He says, King Agrippa, you know the things that Christ has done. I know that you are a man who pays attention. I know you are a man who's got his eyes open. I know that you are a man that is aware of these things that are going on. Don't you believe in the words of the prophets? I know that you do, Agrippa. I know that you believe in the words of the prophets. I know you believe in the words of Daniel as he speaks resurrection. Then the Son of Man will appear before the Ancient of Days on his throne, and he will give him authority and honor and splendor and an everlasting kingdom, and all whose names are written in the book will be saved. I know that you know the words of Daniel. I know that you believe the words of Jeremiah, that my people who have wandered like lost sheep in the wilderness... They will seek me again. They will seek me again as their shepherd. And I will establish a new covenant with them. I will make an everlasting covenant that is better than the old covenant. I will make a covenant that will not even be destroyed by the rebellion. I will make this covenant because my law will be written on their hearts. I will make this covenant because I will write it there myself. I will make this covenant and they will know from me the greatest to the least. They will know because I will be their God. And they will be my people. And I will forgive their sins. Remember, dear brother Agrippa, remember the words of prophet Isaiah, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned away from the path of God to our own path. But he has laid the iniquity of all. He has laid the sins of each of us on Jesus Christ for our sake. I know that you believe the prophets. Paul brings out his bony finger and he points it at Agrippa and he says, I know that you believe, Agrippa. Tell me that you believe. Do you believe it? Do you know the words of the prophets? And the room was silent for a moment. 
and every eye in the room was on Agrippa. And slowly, a sly smirk crawls on his face as he responds, Ha ha ha, Paul, you are good. You almost made a Christian out of me. If you had a little time, maybe you would have. Can you imagine the, the heartbreak that Paul felt from passionately preaching the gospel and having the only response would be casual amusement and laughter? Can you imagine what it felt like to have the, the sound of the gospel fall on deaf ears for Paul, who had been in prison for two years waiting for this moment to talk to the king? And, and Agrippa laughs. And I pray to God, he says, whether it happens quickly or whether it takes a whole lifetime, that you would be just as I am. Agrippa was almost a Christian. Agrippa was almost a Christian. Are there sadder words in the Bible than that? Is there anything worse than being almost a Christian? True life, true meaning, true purpose are in your hands, Agrippa. These are... These things are in your hands. Don't let go now. Don't let go of the promise that's before you. Don't let go. I was almost a Christian, he says. Many of us are there. <laughs> Many of us know people that are there. Many of the people you meet during the day are almost Christians. Many of the people that you are close to are almost Christians. They're not bad people. Right? They're, they, they're, they're basically good. They, they go to work and they do all the things that you should do. And, they, and they're moral people. They're almost Christians, right? They, they do everything as you should. Our culture is almost a Christian culture. How do you get to heaven? What do you think, what is the answer that people give on the street? Be good, right? If, if you're good enough, God will grant it to you. Because that's the way God works, right? We want a faith. We want a God that's just comforting. We want a God that's nice. <laughs> we want a religion that makes us comfy, that makes us happy, that, that makes our life easier <laughs> and safe. We want worship that's entertaining, right? This is the way I treated my faith for a lot of my life. I treated it like a hobby. It was one of the things that I did. It was one of the things that I thought was important to me. But it was just one of the things. Religion taught me how to be a good person. I, I went to church and I, I didn't do wrong by anybody. One of the reasons that we truly value church is because it gives us that moral compass, right? And that's why a lot of, a lot of people, when they have kids, they bring their kids back to church because they want their kids to be raised with that. And I'm really glad they're here. Don't get me wrong. I want a religion that made me feel good about myself. You know, we put on our, our happy Sunday faces, right? And, and you have to be like that <laughs> to be in church. And, and I think that's really tragic. Don't you think? That we have created this culture in the church in America where you can't be real with people. <laughs> because we want religion to make us happy. But there are people in this room that are deep down hurting there are people that are going through some really hard things. There are people that don't know which way God's calling them. 
There are people that don't have any direction. There are people that don't know how they're going to make it through the next couple days in this room. Why can't we be a community that's open to that? We want a religion that makes us happy and feel good about ourselves. You know, we don't talk about sin anymore, and I think that's part of it, is that we, that doesn't make us feel good. And, and I, I don't want it to be really heavy. I don't want it to be the hammer coming down on you. This is not about condemnation. This is about reality. If, if, if we separate religion from our reality, if we separate our faith in God from reality, then what good is our faith in God? And you see more and more people turning from the church, and I think that's why, because... Faith and reality are, are more and more distant every day. So why would you stay with your faith when reality is over here? What good is this going to do when this is what's really going on in my life? And, and it's, it's really tragic because faith and reality go hand in hand. There's, faith is the only thing that helps us deal with reality. Faith is the thing that will carry us through, but not the way that the church in America has, has brought it to us. And I think that's really tragic. To be honest, we don't really want the God that God is. We don't want the God that the Bible gives us. We want some combination between a divine butler that is there to fulfill our every whim and a cosmic therapist that is there to make us feel better about ourselves. We want a God that is always on call. And we want a God that always takes care of our problems. We want a God that is professional enough about his attitude with it that he does not become too personally involved. <laughs> you know, isn't it true where, you know, it, it, I, God, I'll call on you when I want something or when I need something, but then when, when I'm doing good, it's like, ah, I don't, you know, kind of keep your distance, God. <laughs> we want God that will give us our space. What would life look like if you had a buddy Jesus? <laughs> you know, well, then that's, that's the Jesus many of us want. But that's not the Jesus that Paul preached. And that's not the Jesus you're going to get here at the Lutheran Church of Hope. What would life look like if you could pray that prayer? What would life look like for me if I could honestly pray that prayer? That I wish you had faith like mine. Oh, that you were like me. (laughs) I think that we can think a lot about what that might look like. Can we think forward and dream the dream that God has for us? Jeremiah 29.11 says that I have a plan for you, a plan for your good. God has something in mind for you. And, and it's more than this. It's more than this superficial Christianity. It's more than this God that keeps a distance. It's the God of relationship. It's the God that Jesus Christ is. It's the God that comes down from heaven into our situation. It's the God that gets down in the mud with us. It's the God that's willing to die on the cross for us. This is the God that we have. And, and it's a life-changing thing because in, in His death, we are buried with Him in our baptism so that we can raise, be raised again. So this is a life-changing thing. So what is the first day of your new life going to look like? We're going to take some time in reflection and, and the ushers are going to bring cards and, and, and during this time of reflection, I want you to think about that. I don't, want, I don't want this to be dwelling on the things that you've done wrong. I don't want this to be a time where you sit there and stew and feel bad about yourself. I want you to dream the dream that God has for your life. I want you to think about what that would look like if you were living that life where you could say, I wish that everyone had what I had. I wish that God would, would bring into, into Agrippa's life 
what I have in Jesus Christ. I wish that, that everyone was as I am. What would that look like for you? What would life look like? How would your life change? What does your new not life look like? Because the kingdom has come. What does the kingdom of God look like for you in a tangible way? I was uh, helping out with a convoy of hope at, um, at the Iowa Event Center. Um, it was a few months ago. And a convoy of hope is this big, um, this big uh, conference where they, they have all these things for people in need and for the homeless. And, and they, have, uh, they had all these brand new pairs of shoes and they were giving away shoes. And they had haircuts for people and they had photographs for families. And uh, like thousands and thousands of people showed up. And, and they ran out of shoes in like an hour. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a woman from our church here. I don't, I don't know if I say her name because they didn't tell her I was going to talk about her. But um, she, she was heartbroken that, that these people didn't have shoes. And, and they came thinking they were going to get shoes. And there was none left for them. And she says, if I take my shoes off, will you take your shoes off? I was like, Yeah. Let's take off our shoes. So we took off our shoes and we gave our shoes away. And I'm walking around at at the Iowa Event Center in in my socks. And people are looking at me like, "Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe he came for shoes. But I have one of the volunteer shirts on. So what we did is we walked around to the other volunteers and we asked, hey, uh, you know, we we gave our shoes away. And we don't want to, like... uh, try to push you to do anything you don't want to do. This is not about feeling guilty. But we were just going to ask you, because you probably didn't think of it as a possibility, but if you want to give your shoes away, we'll find somebody that needs your shoes. And, and, and people, a lot of people were just kind of stunned. They didn't know what to think of it. And some people, right away, they just took their shoes off. And there are other people that were just kind of like, yeah, uh, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> You know, and, and we're like, okay, that's okay. But through this, this woman from our church, I, I learned something so deep. is just you, you have the means to bring the kingdom of God to people in a way that is really meaningful, in a way that is truly life-giving. You have a way to be the word of God that Paul spoke to Agrippa. This is the kingdom of God at hand. And, and I gave my shoes away, and we walked around, and we got 50, I don't know how many people, to give away their shoes. And, and it was amazing just to see the light on people's faces when they got a pair of shoes, but also the light on people's faces when they got to give their shoes away. So for me, I learned how to live my new life and what that looks like in a new way. So what will it look like for you? What does your new life look like? What is God calling you to give up? What is God calling you to sacrifice or surrender? What is God calling you to take up? This isn't a guilt thing. This is dreaming the dream that God has for you. This is something to be really excited about. Get excited about it and think. Think about the things that God is going to do in this city through you. Take time and think about it. Reflect. And, and, and dream, the God that, dream the dream that God has for you today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian that lived in Nazi Germany and uh, he uh, 
participated in the resistance against Hitler. And he wrote this. When Christ calls us, he bids us to come and die. This is not the God of convenience. <laughs> this is not the God uh, that, that makes you comfortable. Jesus Christ says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your dick cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life up for my sake, you will save it. I will save it. And that's the word that, that Christ speaks to you today. I've come that you might have life. I've come that you might have abundant life. So what does that abundant life look like for you? What are some ways that God has called you to live an abundant life? Because that abundant life is not something you have to wait for. That abundant life is sitting right next to you. That abundant life is there in your kids. That abundant life is there in your neighbor. <laughs> that abundant life has come to you through the ministries of this church. That abundant life was lived in a really tangible way last week, right? I saw people washing cars of strangers, and I saw people asking about church because they were getting their car washed. I saw notes being written to missionaries. I saw crosses being painted to go into churches in Ghana. I saw the kingdom of God come. Did you see the kingdom of God come? The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming in your life. Isn't that something to get excited about? Isn't that something that you can really find joy in? But it comes through dying. You have to die to yourself. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to lose your life, you can save it. Paul writes this. This Paul that stood before Agrippa writes, We died and we were buried with Christ in our baptism. You die. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we also will be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful self was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose His power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer a slave. Are you going to answer like they answered Jesus? We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? We're, fought, we're children of Abraham. No, you, you know that you're a slave. Christ has come to set you free. Let Christ set, set you free. Christ has come to set you free. Christ has come to take away that sin. God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God laid His sin on you, it, your sin on Him, so that you can live His life. He has died your death so that you can live His life. Die to your old self. What does that look like for you? Does that look like letting go of the addictions? Does that look like letting go of the resentment that you feel? Do you have somebody in your family that you haven't talked to in a long time? Do you have somebody in your life that you are bitter against? Do you have somebody in your life that needs to hear the words of this gospel? I did not have the courage to speak the gospel to Tara's family. And, and I deeply regret that. God's calling us to do something crazy. Are you going to have the power to do something crazy? Yes. He's given you the power. He's given you the authority to do something crazy. Go do something crazy, people. <laughs> Get excited about it. This is an amazing thing. God's called us to this crazy kingdom that we get to participate in. And I thank God that he's put you in my part of it. 
I thank God that my little corner of the kingdom has you in it. And I pray that you feel that today. I pray that you feel that the people next to you are fighting alongside you. I pray that you feel that the people that you're with are there with you in that kingdom. What does their freedom look like? What is God's calling you to be free from? What is God calling you to be free to do? This is about freedom. It's not about guilt. We know that we're not innocent. We know that we deserve everything we got coming to us. But we also know that in Christ, that's not the case. What does it mean to stop being a fan and start being a follower? God doesn't need fans. God doesn't need people that, Yay, God! Now, uh... Look the other way while I go through this other thing. God needs followers. God needs people that are willing to step out and do something crazy. For me, it's a peace. It's a peace knowing that I don't have to have it all together. That's what my freedom looks like. It's a joy. It's a joy that I can't even tell you about. It's a joy that is unspeakable. I've got something that can never be taken from me. And you do too in Jesus Christ. I've declared you today the forgiveness of all the sins that you've committed. All the sins that you are committing and the sins that you will commit. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God today. Feel that and let it spur you on to do something crazy. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray for the boldness that Paul had. I pray for the boldness to pray that everyone would be as I am. Not because I have my things together. Not because I have it all figured out. But I pray that everyone would be as I am because I put my faith in you. I pray that everyone in this room would put their faith in you. I pray that you would be with us in that. I pray that you would open our hearts to put our faith in you. And I pray that you would open our hearts to do something crazy today something audacious. I pray that you would spur us on in that. Be with us today. Help us to live for your kingdom because your kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name, in his glorious name. Amen.